Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yes, those were ads. Team Human is a labor of love, but we had to flip on that switch to make ends meet. If you want to avoid them and also get access to our Team Human Discord, monthly salons, and occasional live events like last month's Memes, Myth, and Magic show in New York, where I met this week's guest, just go to teamhuman.fm and click on support or go to patreon.com slash teamhuman. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine, a celebration of the collective spirit that makes playing together so much more fun and productive than going it alone, a refuge for those untethered by the mass delusion and looking for the solace of mutual support. We are here for each other. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, the singer, songwriter, and producer behind Zola Jesus, Nika Danilova. That's like psychic. That's like a stock, a, a deep arsenal of psychic energy that an audience comes with. And when you're playing off of that and the aliveness of that moment, they're watching you, you know? But they're also a part of the music because they're feeding the music. Nika is going to help us recognize the power of the arts to reconnect us to the forces of nature. It's time to intervene on behalf of people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. I haven't talked about politics in a long while here. I mean, partly because I just, I'm so nauseated by it. <laughs> For the most part, there's enough people talking about it. And I just saw this, uh, this piece in The Atlantic talking about Biden being uh, too old to run for president again, like that he did the important job of, of, uh, you know, providing an alternative and, and, uh, you know, preventing Trump or whatever from becoming president again, and that it's time, time to step aside. And, you know, it got me, it got me thinking a lot about why 
and I don't mean to sound ageist here, you know, I'm over 60 myself, but but there's older and younger, right? There's older people and younger people. And I, it got me thinking as to why right now it feels like very much older people are considered more plausible presidential candidates. I honestly, I really do believe there's a significant possibility that neither Trump nor Biden will be candidates by the time the major parties finish their conventions next summer. And that may be a good thing, but it would make for a challenging election because no matter how much we like complaining about them, I am getting the feeling that we actually prefer older candidates. Biden, despite his age, or maybe because of it, has been a more effective executive than many of us imagined. Yes, the withdrawal from Afghanistan was sloppy, but losing a war is always difficult. And so is managing a pandemic. He did get a ton of other improbable stuff accomplished from an infrastructure bill to the debt ceiling deal that ultimately gave up much less than Obama would have likely had to do in the same circumstances. He may not be as articulate or energetic as we'd like, but he does offer some of the wisdom and patience of age. And he is unexpectedly smart. I I had the pleasure of meeting him once. I interviewed him for a frontline documentary when he was a senator. No, they didn't use the footage. But I remember being surprised by how intelligent he was. Interacting in person, he wasn't just playing Uncle Joe, but engaging with ideas as a thoughtful geopolitical analyst. Only a few people I've ever interacted with have been so smart that they could enter Anticipate and respond to my thoughts before I'd even had them myself. Bruce Sterling, Elizabeth Wurzel, Terrence McKenna, Walter Kern, and yes, Joe Biden. So it is with no shade that I share my perception that he's growing too frail by the month to keep up the kind of schedule, determination, and embodied confidence demanded of a major world leader on a planet facing so many simultaneous existential crises. I can't help but suspect or or fear something will happen, some gaffe or health crisis that forces the party to reconsider. And for his part, Trump may have more apparent life force, but I'm beginning to doubt whether he'll make it through the coming series of indictments. And as, as I'm Speaking this, there's more indictments coming up through the the, the, the TV screen every uh, uh, every minute, and I'm not the only one having trouble imagining him making it to the convention. Except for maybe DeSantis, the Republican candidates didn't enter the primaries to compete with Trump. I suspect that that Pence and Christie and Haley and Scott and Elder and Hutchinson, they're all just kind of running placeholder campaigns to compete against one another if Trump drops out. But as long as Trump and Biden are the leading contenders, I think it's worth considering why we ended up this juncture with two candidates who mean to serve as president when they're in their 80s. I honestly don't think it has anything to do with older baby boomers clinging to power. I think it may have more to do with our current understanding of the institutions of government and who we think looks plausible mustering the faith to believe in them. 
Anyone who runs for office, particularly a higher office, they're demonstrating a commitment to what we could loosely call institutionalism. They believe that government, and in this case, the presidency, are real and important things. In an era when most of our institutions are fraying or failing, I'm starting to think that you have to be of a certain age to carry that off. I can accept that Biden believes in the sanctity of government. He was raised in the era before the Vietnam War and Watergate and and wider disillusionment. Even Trump, who positions himself as an anti-government upstart, he's nonetheless dedicated his remaining years to reforming or undermining an institution he regards as all too real and powerful. Again, whether or not I agree with or respect Trump, I can accept that he thinks of being president as a real and important thing, the ultimate role for him to play. Something feels off, though, about, say, a a millennial like Pete Buttigieg proclaiming similar patriotism and dedication to the American way. It's as if millennials should know better and hold a more balanced, critical understanding of the limits of government. Statistically, millennials are almost half as likely to consider themselves patriotic as boomers. And that's part of why Pete's unwavering dedication to the system feels disingenuous. We can't help but suspect it's all an act by some operative of the deep state. Even Amy Klobuchar, who's what, 63, Kamala Harris at 58, uh, Ron DeSantis, 44, they seem somehow ridiculous attesting to their faith in the idea of America. It comes off more like a posture they're supposed to take than anything they actually feel. And if they do take their pep squad antics seriously, that's almost worse. I think the good news here is that the inability of younger candidates to project unwavering faith in the institution of government or the manifest destiny of America, it could mean we're finally ready for a more mature, balanced, and realistic approach to governance. Candidates can no longer be held to the boomer ideal of America in order to be taken seriously as contenders for office. In that sense, it's time for us all to grow up. Actually, if uh, if either Trump or Biden do drop out, we could see some real surprises. With so many Trump pretender candidates splitting the MAGA vote on the right, a more traditional candidate like Chris Christie may be able to win. Meanwhile, if all the usual contenders jump in on the left, we may see an upstart like, I don't know, Robert Kennedy Jr. form a new base and then take the nomination from those split moderates, much like Trump did in 2016. Then... Even if for all the wrong reasons, political parties may finally get serious about ranked choice voting. That takes a level of maturity and compromise that only the young may be able to muster. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Stir. Ephemera, a track off the new Zola Jesus album, Archon, created by today's guest, Nika Danilova. I haven't had a real musician on Team Human for quite a while, not since I think like Michael Nesmith or um, the drummer Vinny Kalayukta. And I think that's a reflection of how detached I've been from some of the more soulful elements of human existence. It's easy for that to happen these days, particularly as money and technology seem to conspire to keep us off balance and detached. But the minute I met Nika Danilova a couple of weeks ago at the Memes, Myth, and Magic event in New York, I felt an overwhelming awareness of having found one of the others. You know, it's that feeling when you look into someone's eyes and bam, No, it's not falling in love. Maybe it is, but whatever. It's the falling that matters. The sense that there's other souls to carry you and for you to carry. I don't remember precisely what she said when we spoke, but I got the sense that she had a lot to share about being human together in a digital age. And at that moment, I decided to have her on Team Human. And only later when I contacted her did I find out that Nika is the voice and composer behind a band I've known about for quite a while and loved, Zola Jesus. And I can only describe it as as like resonant with... Uh, the Cocteau Twins, or Nico, or maybe the better side of Kate Bush. So here's our conversation about the life of the artist, which means really anyone with a soul in these precarious times. So hey, do I, I still get to call you Nika in public, right? Yeah, you can call me Nika, definitely. Yeah, I don't, I don't really go by Zola, Jesus. I wouldn't think. You know what I mean? It's a little more like, it'd be like going by like Pink Floyd or something. 
yeah, exactly. I'm a Pink Floyd. Although I did see a record store once that had Pink Floyd in the F section of oh, artists. Oh, that's cute. I thought that was sweet. I yeah. That. That's very cute. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Floyd. Exactly. Mr. Floyd, we've got your your uh, your room ready, Mr. Floyd. Here's your car. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm in a I'm worn out right now. I've been dealing with a family illness. Yeah, where do you live? I'm in uh, near New York, a town called Hastings oh. on Hudson. Oh, nice. Gorgeous. Yes, which is why I was uh Wherever that was, at Caveat on uh, Avenue B or somewhere. I live in Wisconsin. I was just there visiting. I know. And I was, yeah. I was like, it was a good excuse for me to see my friend Jacqueline, who is currently dating Mitch Horowitz, and to see Mitch speak and to see you speak. I was like, I'm going to catch this while I can. Yeah. No, it was great to see you, to to meet you. It's funny. I mean, because I didn't know you were you. But I was just like, oh, who is this person? Because, you know, it, somehow you you instantly exuded the, uh, I don't know, what even to call it, this kind of post-technological, let's reforge the collective human spirit by any means necessary vibe <laughs> right away. <laughs> I was like, oh, you my know, gosh. An, or- an aura is an aura. An aura is an aura. So. <laughs> <laughs> It is. No, but there's like a moment, you know, it, it's like on the back of my Team Human book, I put find the others. And kind of what I secretly meant was you recognize the others, you know, when you find one, you go, oh, hi, I am. Are you? Totally. You know, another person who's seeing the insanity of modern civilization and trying to reestablish some threads of rapport and solidarity amidst the uh, the isolation and despair Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I appreciate about what you're doing is that, you know, it's it's easy to talk about what's going, what's wrong with the world or what could be better. But, you know, there's just letting off some steam and kind of, I don't want to say whining about it, but then there's actually proactively trying to go, no, this is, something's wrong. And can we all just agree that something's a little wrong? <laughs> or like that it could be better? Like, yeah. it's so much more progressive and pragmatic when you're actually going, okay, let's, let's just state the obvious and then go from there instead of just going, oh, I wish things could be better. It's like things can be better. Right. But putting your feet on the ground and accepting what this is, this is where we are right now is not necessarily a terrible thing to do. It's not you living negatively or, or undermining our ability to imagine futures, if we just at least can say, okay, I feel like this. Do you? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I guess that's a crime against the state, right? It's that you don't do that in fascism or whatever. And you have to go, everything is fine. The fearless leader will carry us through. I'm fine. Capitalism (laughs) works for me. (laughs) Yeah, this is great. This is working. Isn't this what you wanted? That's like... And then it's frustrating sometimes because it's like, we should improve society somewhat, Hmm. yet you participate in it. It's like, well, you know, society isn't necessarily consensual, you know? It is what it is. And you have to consent to an extent that you can survive within it, but actually feeling like it's serving you. Like, you know, there's such a disconnect there between what society allows us to be and what it could allow us to be. And that's a huge, huge cavern that um, is widening 
every day. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, 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 there's so many different ways of looking at it. So admittedly, for any of us living in the 21st century, or probably any century, life is a, is a series of, of compromises. You know, sure, we would all love to live, and you partly do, you know, in an organic, totally sustainable, you know, earthy, <laughs> no compromise, no electronics, no antibiotic, nothing artificial world, but we're not there. You know, there's, yeah, there's realities. I mean, it was interesting. If I look at something as simple as using digital tools in your music, so on the one hand, your your music's highly digital, right? It's using all sorts of stuff. And on the other, I saw this interview where you were talking about how great it was to get to have a real drummer on on an album instead of a a quantized beat. You know. It's great to have a quantized beat when you don't have a drummer, you don't have the money, and you can do it and still make a record and have it work. But yeah, you know, the organic human rhythm person is is in this whole other oh. other level. There's there's so much to unpack there. I mean, and okay, so I'll start out by saying, yeah, I live in I live in the woods in a very rural area in north central Wisconsin, and it is extremely. I would say cultureless, aside from the inherent Northwoods hunting kind of like backwoods culture, there isn't a lot of culture here. And so this is where I grew up. And I became from a very young age, as soon as I had dial up internet access, an internet person, because it allowed me to access other worlds. And so I do have this affinity and reverence for technology in as much as it allows us to find the others, you know, like you said. And that was hugely important for me as someone that I was the weird kid, you know, and so there weren't a lot of people like me. So I want to say that, you know, and that I, I do love technology. And growing up, I was really into computer science and coding. And, Hmm. you know, I was on like um, IRC and, you know, doing like just, you know, getting Linux computers and, you know, messing them up just so I could fix them. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, I love that. But then the evolution of technology as it's become more widely and publicly adopted, like, and become a part of our society and culture it it turns me into an anarcho primitivist because <laughs> I'm just like yeah. this technology is using us instead of us using it to the extent where now I I yearn for humanity I yearn for for minimalism for being not necessarily off the grid but off the grid you know and same with music. You know, when you're making music on a computer, you're on a grid. You're, it's 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 a completely binary process, ones and zeros. And a lot yeah. of the modern music today is made more by programmers than by musicians, which is fine. But, you know, I grew up walking through the woods and singing and making up songs and, you know, being completely off the grid musically and physically. And so as I learned to make music on the grid with computers, because that enabled me full autonomy as a solo musician to make, to play drums, to play bass, to play keyboards, you know, I could do it all. Right. But I, you know, as my skills grew, and as as I grew as a musician, you know, I'm an operatically trained musician, I just, 
lusted over the human, the bodily aspect of music that mm. is completely untethered from technology. Like the technology of singing is the voice. Like it's its own technology. And the way that we sing into these microphones that have their own sort of art form and then the auto tune which i refuse to use which will put you on pitch if you're off pitch so you don't actually need to learn the technology of your body in order to to make music and that's very alluring for someone that is a hobbyist or wants to explore music but as a for me as a spiritual musician like it is about the freedom of being able to make music with nothing but the body. And that's what I love about singing. And so playing with a live drummer or playing with other musicians on stage, you know, I could easily just play with track or whatever, but it is about that synergistic experience of being in a musical oneness with other people that is so fulfilling and deeply just it's primal, you know. We've been doing this for for as long as we understood how to harmonize, whatever that means, you know. Yeah. And I'll say, as someone that's very introverted and very isolated, for me, it is the most humanistic experience to be on stage with other people playing music live. And so, I chase that feeling more than ever. It is bizarre. I know. You know, <laughs> it's funny. I got to play with um, Genesis Peorage in. Uh, PTV three, you know, the, the version of of psychic three, psychic TV. And because I hadn't played in a long time for me, the initial experience was just, I want to rise to this occasion, play all the right chords. You know, I was doing keyboards and really fill in the sound and make sure everything stays musical and all, and had these, you know, wonderful experiences in those rehearsal rooms, you know, deafening experiences, but wonderful ones in those, those, those little rooms. And then we went and did uh, the first show I was doing with them at this place called the Coral Room in the city. And I'm playing and playing. And I look up for a second and see everybody else who's playing is like they're everybody's looking at each other and kind of smiling and nodding. It was it was the equivalent of like looking at someone when you're making love with them. You know that <laughs> it's that yeah. it was that deep. Only it was I mean, I was in a fivesome, you know. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it's and, true though. And yeah. it was I, I had no idea and I done stuff and theater and chorus and whatever is a kid, but I'd never really realized. And it was, for some reason, it was more when it was on stage with an audience. And that was why I, what made me think of it when you said there's nothing like being on, it's different than being in a recording studio doing the same thing, isn't it? Oh, I mean, because you have the energy of however many people are watching. Like, and that's a whole other thing I can get into, but an audience, that's like psychic. That's like a stock, a, a deep arsenal of psychic energy that an audience comes with. And when you're playing off of that and the aliveness of that moment, they're watching you, you know, but they're also a part of the music because they're feeding the music. It's such a transference. It's crazy. And so I'm like, man, I want to you know, I'm about to do this piano tour. It's just me and a piano. And I'm just like, I want to feel that from the fundamental level of what it's like Mm. to just be a body in front of other bodies and how that communication and that relationship is fed in the most like, yeah, fundamental level. It's, it's so wild. I love it. Yeah. It is. I've resisted thinking about it, I guess, or relishing it because I don't want to be like some, 
dude feeding off the ego, <laughs> whatever, of a crowd. But, you know, I've been, I've been, I don't know if the word depressed is, I've just been really down, just, just so fucking worn out these yeah. last months. Somehow I just never really quite came out of COVID and just, you know, between, you know, family and work and students and the world and, and money and precarity. It's just, ugh. But I did that same week I saw you, like, like, Shortly before that, I did a thing that Josh organized. You know, he organized the Digital Void thing with with Mitch, mm-hmm. and he organized uh, this other one with All Tech Is Human. And I did this event. It was just I, I just did like a kind of my my sort of last book event about survival of the richest and how you know what we can actually do. And I felt so good after it, just so good. And then Josh sends me these pictures of the audience during the thing, and. You look at these faces of like people, their eyes are wide open, they're smiling, you know, you you can see them. Well, duh is why I felt good. This is like the, the classic mirror neurons being fired, oxytocin, acceptance, you know, feedback loops. It's like, well, how is that a bad, how is that a bad thing, right? <laughs> you know, it's like. It's it's not bad at all. It's it's But it's also, it's like. Number one, we're social animals. Like, we need to remember that. We're not individuals. We are one organism. Right. So whether or not you're one person on stage or a group of people or a band, like, there is a collective sort of, like, strengthening of the unit when you have that many people in a room together. I think it's so much more than just feeding an ego. It's like feeding a soul, you know? And it's yeah. you're not feeding the soul by people clapping at you. You're feeding a soul by the courage that it takes to stand up in front of peers and people, you know, other people, but also presence and a willingness to be vulnerable that I find so human, not egoic at all. It's only egoic if you're going up there going, oh, this is, I'm the shit. This is great. Like, they love me. Coming down in over it. Yeah, it's like, oh, I could, I could, you know, I've humiliated myself on stage more often than I've succeeded on stage. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, it's more of like getting in the ring and like potentially publicly humiliating yourself. That's what I like about it. It's because it's like the chance of succeeding is lower than the chance of failing on stage in one way or another or embarrassing yourself. So I I like it. It's very humbling. It's a very humbling experience for me. And Right. I like yeah. the way you say it because, you know, soul, as I've come to understand soul, and, and it was partly by watching some of these Viking movies when, when I had COVID. I watched a bunch of those Viking series, and they kept I kept not understanding when they said if you break an oath, you know, if you break an oath, it hurts your soul. And I cut them in, oh, you're not going to go to Valhalla. But no, what they mean is you're going against your will, your, your yeah. actual will. And your soul is like the verb of you. You know, it's it is that. And so to be able to express, to, to activate soul, to manifest, you know, is so vulnerable. This, this really is me. This isn't me manipulating you. This isn't me using tech on you. This isn't me trying to persuade you of something. This is just me, you know, and that's what happens. You know, that's the interesting thing about, about your music or one of the interesting things about it is that that's so unexpected about it is you, it's so like you take even just opening song on Archon called called Lost. Yeah.
there's some digitally stuff it's like it's contained it's all right you know no problem here and when your voice comes into this thing it's like oh fuck (laughs) do you know what i mean it's animal it's i know you're it's it's like you're operatic trained and all that and everything's intentional but it goes to that raw totally open open tube place of (laughs) self-expression of like oh man she's right she's really here <laughs> and, but to then be doing that at the same time i mean to me the song is saying what what i was trying to say in my book present shock of like we are all so untethered we are mm-hmm. we are lost how do we make art or culture in an environment like this how how do we you know you, <laughs> yeah. I, you know yeah and to do that is that is soul expression, right? That is just, I'm not going to, you know, and, and that's the, the. it's interesting. It takes a while. It's like a little child can do it on one level, but then you've got to go all through technique and learning and everything else to be able to do it sort of as art. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, there's this like, there's just this, for me, there's a need, a deep impulse or instinct to express the things that I'm feeling, everybody else is feeling, and being like, what's the deal? You know, like kind of like a Seinfeld thing where it's like, come on, guys, what's the deal with this? But also, yeah, it's like, you know, I'm really into Jung and I do Jungian analysis, and it's been really Mm. helpful for me in understanding a soul's purpose and individuation and being who you are and being unafraid to explore the depths of one's shadow side, you know? And as a musician, I have this gift. I feel like it's a gift to be able to, you know, give a voice to the unknown, to the unconscious and, you know, to bring these things that we're all feeling, to bring them up into the surface and materialize them through song. And, you know, I don't take that lightly. You know, this isn't just a song and dance for me. This is my, you know, it's my, it's my purpose. And it's not like I take it like, oh, this song has to be everything, you know, or it's got to be my life's purpose. But it's like, you know, you have Mm. to keep that channel open. You have to keep that intention pure when, when making, when doing what you're doing, because, you know, everything has consequences as well. And, you know, I don't want to project into the world a project of vanity that just, you know, any success is just the success of me being able to manipulate people. It's like, for me, it's about stripping myself bare and other people being able to go, oh, we're the same, you know, because we are all the same. Like, 
And that's what's the, the beauty of music is that you can communicate things in such like an abstract, emotional way. You know, it's just great. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And you're really present. Do you ever just have to kind of fake it? Like if you're on the road, you're not feeling good. Now we're doing this song. Oh, yeah. And you, it's not you do. Right. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's hard. And yeah, it's, it's, it's also been 12 to 13 years of a career of getting to this point. You know, I was operating from fear and um, fear of failure, fear of fear of not fitting in, fear of not being accepted for who I am. You know, this isn't I didn't come out the gate like this. This is just the process of the hero's journey, you know, for talking in Jungian terms. Yeah. Uh, this is where I am now. But like, you know, you also just have to, of course you have to fake it. And that's one reason why I just haven't been touring as much is because I don't want to just phone it in every night. If I'm performing a show, like I performing, especially post pandemic when we, you know, we weren't, we couldn't tour, we couldn't perform. I missed being on stage. I missed being in that weird not quite civilian kind of transient life, like where mm. you're just this floating voice going from city to city, you know, but I miss the rawness and like the aspects of it that were really like soul nourishing. And so I don't want to phone it in anymore. You know, if I'm performing a show, I want it to feel like I'm fully there because you can't do that every night when you're on like a, th you know, three month long tour, but you can try. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then there's like not even the live faking, but the, which I still do some, there's like shortcuts in the work that sometimes it's like, like I imagine, okay, the song we got from here to there. All right. I'm just going to throw a bridge or something here. And you just kind of pull a trick out of your hat and stick it in. So the song works. There's like, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't notice it in this record but i notice it in my own books sometimes of like okay i've got to get from this chapter idea to that chapter idea i got a bag of tricks i'm going to use a story i'm going to use a thing i'm going to use a twist of phrase i'm going to throw three sentences you know and it's not like like so there'll be this joint where it's like mm -hmm. i gotta i gotta pivot here i'm gonna use a technique to get from this to that mm -hmm. my expression of my soul is not perfect there's a patch or yes to get from this career point to that career point i'm gonna say something or do an event i don't really want to do in order to meet a person in order to get a thing that there are these compromises that just have to be kind of acknowledged and, and accepted as this is where we are. There's sort of this time, the meantime, and next time. You know, this time I'm going to take an antibiotic. In the meantime, I'm going to get my immune system really healthy so that <laughs> next time I can not have to take this drug. You know what I mean? There's this... Uh, Definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just part of it, you know? And that's the that's what makes someone, I think, a professional is being able to oscillate between doing things you need to do and doing things you want to do. <laughs> right. You know, it, there's an aspect of right. that where you're like, mm, I don't want to do this. But when you're in one way or another a professional at what you do, you know, you learn how to get through those things, you know. And yeah, believe me, sometimes there's more of those things than the good stuff. And, you know, <laughs> it's like a balancing act. <laughs> but whatever. 
So the, the the name of this record, I mean, I was really silly. First, I heard Archon, and I thought of the place where the Joker gets put in Batman, the Archon Asylum, <laughs> which That's actually awesome. isn't isn't a terrible it isn't a terrible image to have listening to it the first time um, as if it's all different cells in the asylum shouting for for comfort um, but archon is like it's like this greek god right it's like a isn't it kind of an evil greek god well the the term archon that i'm using is in reference to like the gnostics the christian mystics mm. they were called the gnostics and yeah Within Gnosticism, they believed that they're, well, it's a whole mystical lineage of kind of the birth of the world and everything, but that there's like this, there are these archons, is like this pantheon of like evil forces that right. are leading humanity astray and kind of manipulating and exploiting the weaknesses of man. And so it's kind of like a journey to overcome these archonic forces in order to, you know, try to be a good person to to find like the good in humanity against you know the odds of the archons and so i named the record that because i was recording the record in 2020 2021 you know and it was the pandemic it was the election it was just all the protests all of the you know and i was a bernie bro and seeing bernie mm. get totally slapped in the face in that primary was to me felt like a real disillusioning moment in terms of how I felt like the my our political future would be and I was just like man they will do anything to keep us down they will do anything they being the archons will do anything to keep us from being able to to reach our human potential and you know we are living in very archonic times in that way and so it felt fitting but yeah, who knows? <laughs> well, it's weird, you know, and I've I've spent a whole lot of my career, I guess, trying to identify the origins and functioning of the archonic forces, right? So, you know, and, and for me, like you, I love the early internet and playing with this stuff and opening up, you know, K-Pro computers and, and the, the whole cyberpunk early artsy, mm -hmm. crazy, psychedelic net. And then I see Wired come along and I go, okay, so the Archon is capitalism. It's people, it's these dudes wanting to make money and invest and extract and all that. And I blame that for a while. And then I see now these kind of what they're now calling them test creole by my mindset people, my survival of the richest tech bro, musky and Peter Thiel people. I go, okay, it's tech. This, this, and then I go, well, where did the tech, it's, it's the science and, and Francis Bacon and the domination of nature. But then I can go back into my, my Judaism and my Torah and say, oh, well, look, it's Pharaoh and domination of humans and domination of the land with agriculture, trying to get more out of land than the land really wants to give. And, and I mean, as a, as a good, you know, I guess, you know, Bernie, lefty, anarcho-syndicalist, maybe I'm a Marxist, I don't even know anymore. I want to blame these sort of uh, political, economic, business forces, but I get the feeling maybe... I'm I'm being a little bit too uh, almost deliberate, and that you're you're tapping. Or maybe it's because you're an artist, and I'm more of this sort of semi-social scientist type. But that you're tapping into the sort of more Jungian primal. That this is not the result of a corruption of 
human nature, but maybe this is some more primal thing that's really there that, that we got to work with. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I'll say agriculture is technology. You know what I mean? Like this, don't even get me started on tech bros. First of all, (laughs) don't even, don't even get me started on people who love to talk about artificial intelligence. Like it's actually intelligent or artificial anyway, but like technology, (laughs) in my opinion, technology, and this is kind of from like an anarcho-primitivist, like Zerzan kind of perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, that has been, I don't want to say corrupted, but like, I feel like technology is an ability for us to manipulate things. And You know, it can get very, I can go very mystical with this or very practical on a practical level. Yeah, agriculture is technology. A hammer is technology. You know, a club is technology. These things allowed us to survive and flourish. But at the same time, we our over-reliance on them is what's, I think, corrupting us because we go, oh, we need this technology to survive. Otherwise, we won't survive. But then the technology enslaves us because then we, we, we require it to survive to the extent that we, we lose our ability to actually survive on our own. And that's something that I, I'm like freaked out about. You know, I get this is a lot of fear based stuff, too, where I'm like, man, when when all this go, like I, when this mic goes, when this microphone goes, I need to learn. I need to know how to sing with my body. Like I'll say I grew up in a very libertarian household where it's kind of like get off my land or like, let me like, just, I can survive uh, with the bare essentials, you know, we're like a big, like kind of survival family, like that hunting and stuff. And so I do uh-huh. have this kind of in my biology where I'm like, I need to know that like this technology, if it goes away, I'll be okay, you know? And so then I think about that historically, how much we rely on, on tech and not just like digital, not just like silicon tech but like the technology of tools you know and things like that right it's like it's heady you know yeah or farm pharmaceuticals you know i mean i'm thinking you know i got a family member who might have to go on some you know one of those pharmaceuticals for uh body and stuff Mm -hmm. and um you know, my wife takes something. It's like if like the shit hit the fan, you know, and supply chains go and we're back to, you know, it's like, it's not about meals ready to eat. It's like, how are people going to get their insulin? You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how are they going to get their biologics? And because there's all these, I mean, and and it's odd, but there's some of these great drugs that really do um, put, you know, these awful autoimmune diseases into remission, which is wonderful. Of course, people only have the autoimmune diseases because they've been raised on pesticides right. and processed yep. food. And because we're living with like a thousand times more stress than even yes. I always think about those little cave people in uh, in Stanley Kubrick's 2001. And I know you know Me that too. movie because you were talking about the, the, the <laughs> monolith that your home is sort of designed around the, the black monolith of that. But you know that moment when they're sitting on the cliff and they hear like the saber toothed tiger or something in the background, they're just sitting there awake at night panicked, you know, is this thing going to eat us? Even that kind of stress seemed more transient or or they were able to metabolize it with ecstatic dance and ritual or <laughs> eating mushrooms or something. Yeah. 
Well, it's again, it's like a, it's a fundamental, it's like a, that's the fundamental like fear, you know, but the past couple of years I struggled with chronic pain, fibromyalgia, and a lot of like weird gut issues and, you know, and I am also on SSRIs for anxiety, but I'll say with the chronic pain and everything that was solved by going on an extremely strict diet for a couple weeks to clear out my body and avoiding processed foods. And in fact, my body went into this crazy episode where I was getting rashes and a fever and chills and weird tremors and really weird stuff. But it was after it happened a day after I ate a bunch of processed catering food at a party. There you go. And a bunch of processed wheat products and everything. And I'm like, that's crazy. That is causing, you know, and so many problems. And my grandmother has diabetes and she refuses to change her diet. So she needs all of this medication and everything. And I'm like, it's diet. It's so many of these issues are actually based on our modern life. And my I'm on SSRIs for anxiety. That's m- totally modern life that's giving me this anxiety. It's it's the inconsistency of of survival and the fear of navigating a very uncertain world. Like all of these things are environmentally based in terms of modern life causing these issues for me. So you know, I, again, I love modern medicine. I love tech technology, but I'm aware of how much it creates the problems that then it tries right. to sell you the solution for, you know, and you I just know. have to be mindful of that. It's crazy. And you get further and further out on a limb, you know. So again, yeah. I go back to my this time, meantime, next time. Okay, this time I'm going to use the high tech solution. You know, I will install the app that meditates me so I cannot look at the other app. But yeah. this yeah. is a path toward just sitting on a cushion, you know, in the woods. And it's tough, you know, and that's why I don't, that's why it's funny. I kept thinking about compromise. It kept coming up. You know, as I was listening to your music, because of the the combination of pure analog soul with the digital, that it seems to me, and the themes of it, when you're talking about about lost or the, the do that anymore, a song like that, which is again is about compromise. These are these are, do you know what I mean? The song desire, you know, desire. You think you're going to hear the song about desire, and I'm thinking like Britney Spears, I desire you, you know, and that, and it's like <laughs> no, this is a real desire. Your song desire for me is is doubtful about the sanctity of desire itself. <laughs> Lick my wounds like you can taste them. Desire 
Obviously, I'm I'm anti-tech and all that, and all these uh, in in those ways, in in the way that digital technology wants to really supplant our will, our freedom mm-hmm. with probability. You know, here's the that's what I was talking about that 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 night at at, at Mitch's thing. This idea of you know auto tuning our choices, even I mean that's what AI does. This is the most probable answer to your query. Go with that, and as people and businesses do that, we just and novelty because finally how can you do what thou wilt how can you experience and express your desire your soul when you are following the instructions <laughs> you, you kind of can't what would schopenhauer say <laughs> it's I know, crazy that should be I, a new bracelet yeah i know yeah what would schopenhauer <laughs> do <laughs> that I would tattoo on my body. I was like, oh, yeah. look at it on my wrist every every day. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And it's maddening sometimes. If And it's crazy making if you're like, am I making these choices or is the algorithm making these choices for me? Yeah. And, you know, it was actually a big moment for me because I was like a big Twitter user because um, I'm a total nerd. And I love just spouting off on Twitter for years and years, not realizing that it's probably deeply harming my music's reputation, but <laughs> thought I needed to do it because, oh, you know, you, you need to be at the town square. You need to be where everybody is. You've got to, like, yeah. engage with the times, man. You've got to adapt. Well, and labels, anybody who wants to, to put you on a label or book you in a mm-hmm. place is going to say, well, what's her social media following? Exactly. You can't publish a book if you don't have a following. And only by using the platforms are you going to get engagement, are you going to get followers. So it's like this real catch-22. But then at the same time, I'm just embarrassing myself with take mm. after take after take. Mm. And I'm playing playing into the the algorithm's kind of way of, of monetizing anger and monetizing an inflammation mm. And man, deleting Twitter, I was finally like, you know what? I hate this. I hate this place. And the more it became tech people talking about AI and crypto and like this weird sort of like grifter atmosphere, I'm just like, I'm out and I've never felt better. I'm like, I'm free, you know? And so, so many of these tech technology platforms, social media platforms 
are not actually representing us. They're just they're just manipulating and harvesting the worst parts of us. And in fact, choosing to exit can be the best thing for humanity because you're not only preserving your integrity and who you are, but you're also becoming a beacon for others being like, you know what, you don't need to play these games because it is really, it's junk food and it's just going to get worse and worse. Yeah, I often ask myself, you know, can I just, I mean, and I kind of left, at least I left the platforms in terms of place, things that I use. I, I tweet a link when an episode or an article comes out. And that's basically, it's basically it. Cause I feel like at least I'm letting, um, leaving a trail out. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put in a sign, a pointer to a link, a link. You can escape. But even that is is hard. And then, you know, there's the argument of, oh, am I so privileged that I don't have to use it? You know, if I didn't have already have some kind of career or whatever followers or readers, could I go and do that? But I don't know how to answer the person who's just coming up and wants to get their first comic done or get their first songs listen to you know you you're not a music industry person the way like you see on that idol show or something you don't a <laughs> man did i want to be who did i want to <laughs> i grew up listening to pop music in the woods i wanted to be the one on the radio you know but then i saw yeah i'm watching the idol and you know what it's not that exaggerated <laughs> those people mm. are cut throat. I mean, it's animal in a different way. And I'm just like, you know, I got too much dignity for that. There was a period when I was courting some major labels and they wanted me to do these artist development deals where they would hook me up with a producer and stylist and they would kind of create my image, which is basically what you have to do if you're on a major label these days and you don't have like an insane amount mm. of leverage. They create you. And I was like, man, I got way better ideas than these people. I'm not going to trust them at all with who I am because I know who I am. And that's, yeah, right. I mean, that's what the music industry is. It's an industry. It's a factory, you know. And so you're just the vessel that gets to be dressed and told what to do. But it doesn't mean you have any autonomy in in the art form, you know. Yeah, it goes back to the culture industry. I know that's what, mm -hmm. what you know, Adorno, Adorno was talking about. It's a, yeah. a culture industry. And a culture industry is not a culture it's the it's interesting it's just like if industry could be thought of as a medium then the first content of industry was culture right so culture yeah. which used to be a medium for the human soul becomes the content of of the mechanical age and capitalism and all that and if you're really if if part of making a song is not thinking will people like this but will this sell it's really, it's kind of becomes the opposite of music. It's, it's really, I guess, unless you're doing, unless your soul is truly libertarian, you know, then you're doing, yeah. Ayn Rand was expressing her friggin' self, right? Yeah, that was, yeah. That was pure. But to live in her reality, it's a lot trickier, you know? It's hard, Definitely. but you've done it, right? So you get enough on like Patreon and stuff and through and, and independent -y things. I mean, Spotify yeah. is not paying your heat. Definitely not. No, it's extremely hard, but you know, I made a decision to prioritize my like artistic integrity over being super rich or, you know, I live in 
a very cheap area on purpose. I live right. in a house that's I, I built the house because it was cheaper than buying one at the time. And you had family helping build it, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I had a whole yeah. litany of uncles helping me with the <laughs> <laughs> the construction and electric electrician, um, electricity. But anyway, so you have to make compromises in that way. But it's like, what do you want? Do you want fame and riches and being on the radio or do you want to have a sustainable career as an artist and for me I'm like I'm all about the long game because I don't I don't have any other skills like I've been doing I've been studying opera since I was eight years old like there's a a will and a drive to make it work against all odds but at the same time I've made a a pact with myself to be honest with my creative pulse and mm. to not let that be corrupted by capital as much as possible. Of course, I'll do things that right. I have done things and I'll continue whatever. But, but you know, I, I feel like I have more to offer as, as a heretic <laughs> and a hermit uh-huh. than as right. a um, pop star. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's just, there's enough of those. How do you make ends meet when you have to? It's not like weddings and bar mitzvahs or opera lessons or what do you do if if things get tight yeah play shows i can make enough to pay my mortgage and bills by going on a tour if i do it smartly however these days i've been going on tour and it's it just hemorrhages money so i come back home owing money i'm in debt from the tour that's been hard because of all that that Ticketmaster, live nation whatever that stuff is that monopoly stuff yeah and then of course, I want to tour with a band. I want to tour in a way that's comfortable for everyone. I want to pay people what they feel like they deserve. Right. So when you're paying people living wages, you're trying to take care of everybody and yourself and do things in a way that's smart. It costs money no matter what. And gas, hotels, every, so you know, the van, everything. It's just so expensive. Right. And everybody's got their lives and their stomach aches and autoimmune diseases yeah. and, and panic yeah. attacks. And, and it's just to, to, you know, you've got to carry it all as you're. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot, but I also do really well with like, um, music licensing. That's huge. Actually, if there was one thing that I'm like really surviving off of, it's like mm-hmm. placements and TV and movie. So it's all about at this point if i was giving advice to somebody that's a musician that happens to be listening to team human you yeah. know it's about diver- i don't want to say diversifying but like you have to be very mercurial you have to have a lot of yeah. things going god that's what my dad told me he said yeah. if you're gonna be a freelancer doug you know you're gonna think of yourself more like a department store you got your yeah. book then do some articles find some like medical writing you can do you have a whole bunch of different sell some cute uh, little t-shirts whatever you can merch baby <laughs> yeah, merch. Oh, but isn't that man oh, selling more sh- shirts than records is for me kind of like yeah, this is not 
this is not a sustainable <laughs> art form. Well, right. That's back to Adorno. You're selling T-shirts. So yeah. there's one T-shirt company that's making all the freaking T-shirts, and you're just the 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 silk screen on it. You're just <laughs> exactly. Oh, <laughs> the, the T-shirt company and the 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 you know the children in Bangladesh who are picking the cotton to make them. They're they don't really care what band, whether it's you know no. Britney or or Taylor or you. It's all it's all one product. Yeah, it's uh, a hustle. Yeah. But do you, the the sort of personal and individual precarity that you and I and I, we, we're experiencing as, as people, it feels to me like it, it is reflective of the precarity we've got right now as kind of a civilization. And I'm wondering, are there lessons in kind of it, how we can, I feel like we, we, personally can unwind from certain relationships to technology and certain relationships to money and certain relationships to the arconic forces. And it's something that also needs to happen on a, on a society-wide or system-wide level. Do you feel engaged with the bigger kind of collective struggle or is how you do that really through the music and giving people kind of, kind of hints and ballast and ammunition for this collective struggle? I think it's both because it's something that fuels my music, but also fuels my non-music life, you know? Like, mm. I like to think about different ways of being supported and supporting others. You know, there's just there's just so many other ways that we can be supported and support others in, in this world that goes beyond money. Mm. And... That's something that I just try to think about. It's like, okay, what do I actually need or what do I want? And is there ways that I can get that without this sort of like capitalist exchange of money? You know, it can't it just be somebody supporting me by giving, I don't want to say giving me those things, but there's got to be different ways of having this network of survivability and support beyond just, oh, you pay me for a t-shirt and that allows me to buy my groceries or whatever. It's like, why don't we just start buying people's groceries? You know what I mean? Like, why don't we just start, like, why can't this network feel so much more holistic and embedded in our lives than just this, like, very capitalist labor trade? And, you know, like, I'm not out here, like, inventing new currencies or, like, starting a, a communist adjacent platform or whatever but you know and the more removed i am from society living out in the woods the more i go why are things i'll go I'll, like i'll go to the city and i'm just like why is everything so weird why is everything so complicated like it doesn't have to be this way like it just doesn't – so many things don't make sense to me in the way that society is arranged because it's you know why do we have so many roads and no trains connecting like in Wisconsin there should be a train from Madison to Milwaukee then there is one from Milwaukee to Chicago there's no trains connecting anything there could be a train from where I live to Mi Minneapolis it's a straight shot you know well maybe there were <laughs> yeah well there 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 maybe there were but I in my entire life of being here there weren't there haven't been and I'm yeah. just like man this sucks yeah. anytime I even need to fly I need to sometimes drive three hours to Minneapolis to fly. I'm like, I wish I could just grab a train, you know, instead of driving. 
And so these things are just kind of they fuel my my like my like my anger, my kind of like Saran, Emil Saran anger at the world. <laughs> like, why is it this way? Yeah. But I do appreciate your offering sort of which is what I've been really into the last month or two, especially is like non-economic socialism, if you will. Yeah. I mean, like, like, like socialism, it's, it's become understood as like, oh, there's some Politburo that decides how many toothbrushes to make and how much money people get. We redistribute money. It's like, no, what about putting the social back into yeah. socialism? Just what is it to just be here for one another? If you are here... I mean, it sounds simplified, but like if you are really genuinely there emotionally and socially for your neighbor, then that neighbor is less likely to need SSRIs or as many SSRIs or as much psychotherapy or as much, you know, whatever, you know, they're going to be less likely to get the disease. And it really does have, I mean, calculable economic impact, but... It, it makes us then less dependent on these big central corporations. It makes us less under the influence of the archon. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because it's, it's distributed and human and, and peer-to-peer. The archon, to me, is very top-down, you know? It's very <laughs> – it's part of the hierarchical model. It's so inefficient. Yeah. Why do we all have lawnmowers? Every single yeah. person on a street – has a lawnmower, I think. I don't live in that kind of neighborhood, but why don't you just have one or two lawnmowers between the entire street and you guys can share? Why do we all need a chainsaw? Why do we all need a drill? It's insane to me. (laughs) And I I do that. I I say that at a talk and someone invariably gets up and says, yeah, well, what about the person working at the lawnmower factory? You're going to put him out of a job. Oh, I hate that. I'm sorry. I yeah. hate the. We're going to put them out of a job. You know what? They shouldn't have a job anyway. You know, maybe maybe we should be supporting them so they don't need to work. Like, why does everybody need a job? Right. Let, let them make music. Yeah. Right. One of those guys in the lawnmower factory could be your drummer, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, what if that guy doesn't want to be building lawnmowers? What if there's one guy that loves building lawnmowers? Let him build the lawnmowers. Right. As many as we need, which isn't as many as... We don't need the other guy. No. Yeah, let him play drums. No, we wouldn't need ads. We have ads to sell lawnmowers that people don't need because otherwise they're not, yeah. you know, it's like, oh my God. It's like we're giving people, you know, drugs so they can consume more so that we could support an economy rather than just going, oh, what if we change the way we look at these balance sheets <laughs> so that we don't have to kill all the people? I know. And that's something that's been way very revelatory to me as I've gotten older as a musician. I'm like, instead of scaling up, scale down, like scale down. I don't need to play arenas. And, you know, because there's costs that come with that and like financial costs and social costs and everything. And it's like the more we scale down, the more manageable things are, the healthier they are, the more reasonable they are, the more they make sense, the more you can be present for the people around you. Like everything needs to be scaled down, not up. And that's a huge, I think, problem, especially in America. Everything's got to, and especially with like IPOs and with angel investors and all this like, oh, we got to scale up super quickly. We got to sell this, build this company and sell it and, you know, make it public. And it's like, why, why do we need to do that? Why, why does this company even exist in the first place it's just all and especially now thinking about crypto and everything it's like man this is all just grifts to get money like but like 
are you actually being supported? Like, and how much do you really need at the end of the day? You know, it's just, it's, it's very, it feels to me, it feels like a mental illness pervading over American society. The mental illness is capitalism. Right. I know. And that's the AI that took over entertainment long before, you know, AI is this thing, this force. But if people believe as many do that the arconic forces are here to stay, then the object of the game is to earn enough money to outrun them and to insulate yourself from the damage, you know, to get more better drugs, more better air purifiers, you know, whatever you need to to escape the exhaust of this thing. That takes me even further off the grid. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, you did that. You did that. And and there's pictures of your modest paradise online if people want to see it. But that's the thing. It is like the natural world is paradise. It's paradise. And it's paradise because it's inhabitable. Like it's paradise because it allows us to exist. And that is such a tenuous balance that I have the utmost respect for because as we're seeing now, like – I'm in northern Wisconsin, and it's too hot for me to even take a walk outside. And there was wildfire smoke from Canada for days, and I couldn't go Mm. outside. Beautiful sun shining through the trees, but this haze of smoke reminding me that it's I can't be out there. And that to me is so scary because it's like if paradise is poisoned, then we have nothing left because that's what's allowed us to thrive in, in with these accommodations. And um, we can't take that for granted. And it freaks me out. So I'm like, man, I'm just going to soak up that fresh air as long as I can. Because when it's gone, (laughs) we're gone. You know, it's like. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but hopefully not. Hopefully there's enough of us. (laughs) I'm sorry to be so bleak. (laughs) No, but waking up to. I mean, we'll see one way or the other. We'll see. But we will have at least we will have made contact in this bizarre, the storm of, I don't know what you call it, crazy, the storm of crazy. Well, at least there's Mars. There's always Mars. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's going to be that hospitable. (laughs) What are you talking about? Come on. Don't you see all the humans thriving on Mars that have been able to biologically adapt? So people should consume Archon, your newest album or get taiga that's still special to me it's an older an older one of your your records are we calling them records are we allowed to sure it's wonderful music what's the best way for for you for people to like hear archon it's not like going on spotify i assume yeah well thanks uh i mean you know you can whatever's easiest (laughs) for the the accessor but spotify apple music title i mean Bandcamp. You can download, do a digital download and purchase that by supporting direct support in that way. You know, YouTube, it just if you just search Zola Jesus, everything will come up. Some inaccurate Wikipedia <laughs> articles, some photos from 10 years ago when I had blonde hair. Uh, my website, <laughs> ZolaJesus.com. Patreon.com slash Zola Jesus may emerge, which is where I put most of my heart and Soul on the Line mm. is on Patreon. If you want more of this bleak vulnerability, you can head <laughs> over there. <laughs> Otherwise, happy to have you wherever I can get you. 
<laughs> yeah, well, the experience of the music is not bleak vulnerability. It it no. fills you from the bottom up. Oh, so, I hope so. Thanks for that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's helping me in a, in a particularly dark time. So, oh. so thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for having me as well. Sure. Thanks for being on Team He Win. You're, you already were, but but it's nice to have it for real. I'm a lifer. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for being on Team Human. Our guest today was Nika Danilova of Zola Jesus. You can find out more about Nika and her music at ZolaJesus.com. You can find out more about Nika and all of our guests, as well as become a supporter of the show by going to TeamHuman.fm. Team Human is produced by Joshua Chapdelin and edited by Luke Robert Mason. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.